You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. Well, welcome and good morning. Uh, a few quick announcements before we roll on into what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, baptism tonight will be here since the potential for rain is pretty good, okay? So we'll be doing baptism here. If I could grab a couple guys afterwards that could help me have the church set up the baptistry that goes up in here. Uh, I would like to paint. But that'll be tonight at 5.30. Uh, we'll be doing baptism and Lord's Supper. And uh, so eat something before you come because it's not like small groups where everybody has a meal. Uh, don't come expecting breakfast, right? Yeah. New Yorkers love breakfast for supper. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you have Randy over and Lisa, just fix some breakfast and they're happy. Okay? <laughs> anyway, come understand that Okay, uh, now you're one of us. You have to. Okay. Yeah, that's good. But anyway, um, so we'll have a little watermelon cantaloupe kind of stuff, and we'll bowl afterwards just to hang out a little while after baptism, Lord's supper, and then just hang out for a little while if you want to to join us tonight here. Would be great. Um, also, Class 101 is coming up. Well, let me say this, too. If you've given your life to Christ and you've never been baptized, holler at me after the service. That means call me or contact me. Um, let me know after the service and sometime today when we talk about it. Maybe tonight is tonight. We just go ahead and take that step of baptism um, following Jesus in, in that example. But based on what he said for us to do. So we'll talk more about that tonight. But um, that's going on tonight. Class 101 is our membership class. It's just the way you find out more about the Church of Rutledge. There's a sign-up sheet back there. Make sure you sign up for that by the first Sunday of next month uh, if you're going to do that so that we can plan appropriately for that class coming up November 4th. Uh, it'll be during the morning service over at the library at the high school. Student impact is, is happening this Wednesday, which means students will meet here at 5.30. And we'll be going to Morristown to impact service over there uh, for their Wednesday night stuff. And all the Awana groups will be here at the church instead of uh, Wednesday night, instead of at their respective places. So if you've got kids between Awana and your groups and stuff, all the kids will be here together at 6 o'clock. We'll get started and have that going on here. Okay? I've got all of our announcements, so we'll just ease on. And we'll still go there. Anybody looking for, usually I'm looking at Rita going, anything else on this? Um, thanks for good. Um, but we're in a series, have been in a series we've called the C2 Community and Community. And so we've kind of continued that on, even though I'm not sure how much it has to do with what anymore. It's just kind of going uh, where it's going. But we talked about the community of believers and them doing life together and how the community of believers is to be. 
and as the community of believers being in our community and reaching our community and how that works. And we ventured into the, the book of Revelation uh, a couple weeks ago um, where Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches. And we've been just looking at Ephesus, and this is the is John uh, writing this uh, this down. He has this is after Jesus has been uh, crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended back to heaven, and so here you have uh, John. And the early church has started, had this incredible ministry. John was actually one who would speak and be the, the leader of, at Ephesus for a couple of years. Um, but it's, it's got to the end of his ministry, and he's been exiled to the Isle of Patmos, as we talked about last week. And, and, and on this island, thinking, man, the worst of our circumstances, why would God do this to me? Is this the culmination of my ministry? It's going to end like this. I mean, you can imagine what he's feeling like and thinking of, why would things? Why would it go like this? You know, no friends out on this island, just just left for dead. But yet, what he would probably on the front end see as the most, the worst time of his life is is becomes this most amazing moment where he, out of everybody on the planet, gets gets this visit and gets to gets to see into heaven and write about things and get dictated to by Jesus to write these letters to these specific churches. And so the greatest blessing of his life and, and what has been amazing even for us to see that to, to get the book of Revelation is is the most amazing thing that probably happened in his entire ministry to, to think that it was during the worst of what he would think circumstances and that's often how it is for us. And we talked last week about how Ephesus in Revelation 2 was doing some things well, and Jesus was commending them for some things, and 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 he had some things. He, he, he said, you're doing these things well, but he said, I have one thing against you, and that they had lost their first love. They didn't have the same strong relationship and affection and passion for him that they did at first. And... This, I mean, think about the church at Ephesus, too. I mean, you're talking about as they've went along here, they've had some amazing leadership, speakers, preachers, whatever you want to call it, in this church at Ephesus. I mean, to imagine, uh, you know, when I when I think about the list, when you think of Paul leading that church and Paul's sidekick Timothy and, and how he raised him up and he would be a guy that would be at Ephesus and, and then... You know, John himself, and then Apollos, this great orator that was just an excellent speaker, great writer, and, and he would be their leader. I mean, can you imagine being on staff there, right? Um, it, it just, just amazing deal. And, and Jesus, and, and then to see that there was still, even with that great leadership, even with those kind of guys in place, you had this drift of of them being very passionate at first and this church getting started and then it was just kind of this lull into there's a passion for just, just for Jesus himself and that relationship had faded and it had been just well this is just what we do and we just persevere and carry on and he said there's some good things like your perseverance and your patience and your sticking to solid doctrine and all these things and he said those are good things but then to just lose their passion and he says, you need to go back and do the things you did at first. 
intelligence. And I hope you guys had great conversations about that in the small groups this past week. But the church of Ephesus had been on this gradual drift. And even though they'd been working hard and patiently enduring and sound doctrine, they had neglected and had stopped sitting at the feet of Jesus and just spending time. And, that, and that's, the, you know, you think about the story of Martha and Mary and that whole deal. That, that's what that's about, is that he was busy, Martha's in the kitchen, busy doing those things. But Mary had chosen to sit at the feet of Jesus and just enjoy him and, and, and just, just in love with him. Martha is just being busy with no love or passion for Jesus. And so that's part of what that's about. So there's this guy named Dick Halverson. He was once the chaplain for the United States Senate. Uh, some other guys have come along since but he was there for a long time. But he wrote these words. He said, In the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centered on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became a unity. That's amazing. And if you were if you were to de- define the word church, and if you were to ask people in our community in, in the United States around the world what is the church, especially in the Bible Belt, you'd get a lot of different answers. It means different things to different people. But usually, to a lot of people, to most people, it means a building. They, that's the way they use the word church and refer to churches. People will say, even though that's not the New Testament meaning, they'll say, um, I'm going to church, which means I'm, I'm going to that church over there, down on Main and 2nd, or whatever it is. They, they, it's, but it's not a building or an institution or a philosophy or a culture. Scripture says it's a group of people called by His name redeemed by Jesus. Jesus said he would build his church, meaning the community of believers. He would build them, not build them. He wasn't referring to brick and mortar or metal or whatever that would be. And so as he, to think of that, what he's doing when he says, I will build my church, if you're here this morning, I would just say, Jesus is working on you. Wherever you're at in that process. Okay? One poll done by Barna Research Group said that uh, this group of people who didn't go to church, they were asked, and the top couple answers, uh, one of the top answers, they were asked why they didn't go to church, people who didn't go to church. 56% said the church was more concerned with organizational issues rather than spiritual issues. That was the second. I agree. And that, that goes along with this thinking of our younger generations that are coming along who are who are seem to be getting into this theme of, well, I'm okay with Jesus, but religion and the church, Christian, I'm not sure about it. And it's why I did a message a couple weeks ago about the perspective of Jesus on the church, that Jesus loves the church so much that he gave himself for it, died for her. But churches can get off track and need to get back to their vision and mission given to them by Jesus as the church. And hopefully you noticed that last Sunday that what Jesus noticed about the church 
were a part of things, not the organizational institutional type things. It's not the totally the part of and superficial things. It's not what, you know, Jesus didn't write letters to churches and say, well, I don't like the pastor because uh, he's preaching topically, not uh, exegetically. Okay? Or he's speaking more about Calvinism and Armenianism, or uh, the band, the music isn't that great, okay? Or, you, you, you know, you got to keep the room too cold or too hot, or, you know, it, it wasn't, all, it, you know, it wasn't criticisms about the budget, and, and all this, although all those things have their place, the foundation of everything is, is not those things, it's, it's he talked about heart issues, okay? It was heart issues. So, it's not these superficial things. You know, there's some structure that's needed, there's organization that's needed that, that just helps to facilitate things. But regardless of that foundation of love to Jesus, it's there, it doesn't really matter. So, Ephesus, because you look at Ephesus, had great speakers, and I would say the music probably was pretty good, I don't know. and so what did Ephesus need to get back to? And I told, told you last week I really wanted to dive into uh, what, how the church started and some of the aspects of it, so that's what we're going to do this morning. And the birth of the church at Ephesus is really amazing. It's, it's got this supernatural craziness about it that when it first started, that, that is amazing. And there's even some parts of this church being started that would probably make those, those uh, uh, make Bible Belt people a little uncomfortable, right? They make good old Baptists a little bit uncomfortable. Um, the Bible says Paul shows up in a town. He starts preaching. He's preaching the message of Jesus Christ, which we refer to as the gospel. And then there's there's some disagreement about that, uh, about what's, what he's doing and so instead of arguing with those who want to argue, he instead finds those who are hungry to know the Lord and and begins to pour into them every day at the Hall of uh, Tyrannus, okay? He goes there because there's some people that's like, I don't know about what you're saying, and instead of arguing with them. And, you know, and so there's these things that's going on and he's teaching people and people are coming and, and then they're going out and there's all these healings and sicknesses and driving out demons and all these things that are happening. And what's amazing is when the gospel is preached and people are talking about Jesus and inviting Jesus and focused and inviting people to Jesus and focused on him and in love with him in a community, things do really get supernatural and crazy. Okay? And in Ephesus, the whole socioeconomic climate of that city is just turned upside down. I wish I had time to go into all the things of what was going on in that city when he went in, but just just to get a small picture of it, it was just, it was, even the economic, the socioeconomic system was based entirely on this idol worship, and there was one of these temples, and, and there was temple prostitution going on, and one of the ways you worshiped was uh, through that kind of activity. I mean, it was just, it was a horrible place, but yet it was this epicenter of commerce, and it was just a city, and where it was located, it was just and it talks about how even from that city where everything else exploded and went to as far as even the gospel goes in the message, 
happens in all these other places. And so it, it, it's all this craziness is going on, but then the gospel is preached and and it just gets it gets turned upside down, it gets flipped on its head. And people it got to the point it says in there and we're gonna see an Acts where it talks about how people couldn't even make money off sinful games. Like it had so shut down these guys selling idols, they couldn't even sell them. Like nobody wanted to buy them anymore. I mean, could you imagine a community that gets turned upside down like that? Those who built, built shrines to Artemis started a riot in the city because they were so upset because it had messed up their ability to make money on these idols. And on the selling of the, the prostitution in the temple, all this stuff. Could you imagine in our community where all of a sudden the people in the, like, that are selling drugs and in the drug houses are so upset and they're like ticketing down at the, down at the courthouse because they can't, nobody will buy drugs anymore. Right? And it's like, it, it gets so crazy that people just start walking away from those things. Could, could you imagine where, where there's, there's just a full scale shutdown in this city on anything that was a sinful game. And the gospel just flipped that climate on its head. And Paul had been casting out demons and healing the sick. Check this out in Acts 19, verses 11 through 20, so we look at. Because God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And I could get into a whole talk, like I've had a discussion with a couple people lately, just to get into the miraculous spiritual gifts and those kind of things. And get those all secondary issues and people get all upset and, you know, spiritual gifts are not not what you look at as proof of somebody's salvation through the Spirit is proof of salvation and change life and God does give everybody a spiritual gift that comes to know Him and, and whatever that may be but I have a different view if you ever want to talk to me about it I have a view about spiritual gifts and it doesn't mean you can't have a different view because secondary issues okay? we all get along regardless of what we stand on secondary issues um, but I, I have this view of, of how there were basically three seasons of miracles at the hands of men in Scripture at, at certain eras, and how that faded at one time. And the Scripture even talks about that. Okay, so if you ever want to know that, I'd be glad to talk to you about it. I don't have time to like go fully into all that stuff right now. Uh, kind of Moses and Elijah and the time Jesus walked like this, and faded off after he ascended eventually after this. But anyway. Here, this is this is what's happening at this time. So he's performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, not meaning God can't do miracles today. Extraordinary miracles. Let's call together the elders, lay on hands, and pray in faith that God says not the hands of one person per se, it's a group, and in faith God does heal people. Okay? So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists, as God had that job, right? Who went from place to place, attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure, I'm in ASD, is what I'll read from, but that just means command. I command you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Okay, so they're, they're basically these Jews who are trying to use the name of Jesus because they hear that word. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't mean they necessarily believe in him or follow him or love him. It just means 
there's these Jews who are trying to use the name of Jesus to do this, right? And so seven sons of Sceva, a, Jew, a Jewish chief priest, were, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Right? And the man in whom the, was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued the, all of them, seven guys, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all by the name of the Lord Jesus. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. Good old-fashioned book burning. Check that out. And they, they counted up the price of them. I just scared everybody. They, bring all your Harry Potter books tonight, too, okay? And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Okay? The seven sons of Sceva, they've seen it happen. They watched Paul cast out a demon, and the Bible says, you know, they're the sons of this Jewish priest, and they're these exorcist kind of dudes, and I guess that was a job back then, interesting enough. And they go and find a demon-possessed man. And they find a, this guy who's demon-possessed, and they're like, let's try this. And, then, and they're like, in the name of Paul's God, you have to flee, get out of that man, right? And the Bible says the demon speaks to them and says, Jesus, I know. Okay? Paul I recognize. And that is so cool. I mean, how to, that the demons knew Paul. Like you can go, okay, even Scripture says that the demons know and believe about Jesus. They know the truth. They know who Jesus is. There's a spiritual world that they understand, that they know the truth about, that they understand how this works. But, but to say, hey, we've heard Paul too. I mean, could you imagine having a reputation amongst the demons? Okay? I don't know if I want that reputation. I mean, it'd be nice to be able to say, you know, evil spirits, that kind of thing, to know that when you walk in the room, they're like, Oh my gosh, there's Paul. You know, to have that kind of reputation, that, that just blows my mind, okay? The demons are like, yeah, okay guys, Jesus we know, obviously. And we know he isn't here because we would recognize him like that. Because it's obvious. But Paul, dude, we know who he is because we've heard about him. But, but we have, is he around? Like, you're naming him. It's like, is he here? Because if he's here, we're out. Okay? We've heard of that guy. We we got the word. The memo was passed down through the organization of demons to watch out for this guy, Paul. So is Paul here? You're like, I've heard Jesus. You've heard of Paul. But who are you? Because Jesus and Paul aren't here. We're not really worried about it. Not, they're like, I don't know your name. And then the Bible says the man overpowered, this demon takes this man he's possessed and, like, kicks the rear end on, I have to use this right now because this is the son. I'm so, I was like, this is the, and I, I won't use the name, okay? I'll just tell the story. But I was, I was at, this is hilarious, like I could, I almost couldn't pretend to okay? But, like, I was at, uh, I'm not sure how to do this stuff. I was at a gathering of people. We're all enjoying 
food, okay? And I'm listening to this conversation between some kids at a table, okay? And, and this one boy is like, he's a teenager, you know, he's all tough and everything. And he's talking about how him and this other kid at school trade hits with each other, right? They're, they're like, man, he, that dude's my class. He, he's got the strongest hit and all that stuff. So he looks at another kid that's sitting next to him at the table and looks at him and says, hey, man, you want to trade lists? Okay, right? And there's this little girl sitting at the table who's very young, okay? She doesn't understand. And she hears this guy say, hey, hey man, you want to trade licks? And she looks at him and goes, ooh, why do you want to do that? Right? And I, I was just like, that, sorry, that's just, that came to my mind. It's just funny. And he's like, not that kind of licks. You know, like, it was just really hilarious. Anyway, great moments in church history, okay? But so you have to be careful how you say stuff because people might not understand you, okay? Uh, that just simply means to hit each other. You know, take turns hitting each other, okay? Not to actually lick each other, okay? I can just, I just pictured her face what she's thinking, like this, grab you by the end, grab your teeth, and like, take your turn, you know? Like, like what is that? Like, just, is that really what was in her mind? I don't, I don't know. Um, that's how it came across. Anyway, there's this fight, okay? This demon to this man, this demon inside of him, just causing this, he jumps these seven guys and just, they don't trade licks. He's the only one doing the licking, okay? I mean, he just tears them up, okay? To the point that, okay, how many of you have ever watched the fight, right? And then talked about the fight afterward, and there was a debate about who won the fight. You ever done that, right? I mean, you see a fight. I remember being at the University of Tennessee, and, uh, you know, I'd go to the library, which is a not so good place down on the strip, okay? It's not there anymore, but I could tell my parents I was at the library. Um, but I would go there, and, and I remember being out there one time, and there's this, like, there's, it's like five-on-five brawl out in the parking lot, and I went to the other side of the street because I don't want to get involved, and I'm standing there watching. And it was pretty clear who won afterwards. Like, there's two guys from one group standing, and everybody else is on the ground. And so the two guys from the one group, like their group won. Okay, so you're pretty clear about that. Okay, but, but you, you always have that kind of discussion later. of being, well, this guy was getting the best of this one or whatever. And, you know, sometimes there was this fight, and then they all kind of separate. And it's like, I wonder who won that deal. Don't really know. But, but, but let me ask this. If a fight, if, if when the fight starts, one side is wearing clothes, and at the end they don't have any. Who won? Right? Nobody, nobody's going to question that. Okay? Have you, you ever heard the expression, you've got the pants beat off of you? I mean, literally. Okay? Here. If you come in with your pants on and when it's over, you're not wearing pants. You lost. That's the basics of it. Okay? But after... It's, it's amazing because... What you see after this is after this event happens, because of that event, and I, I'm not sure, I, I sat and thought about it, like, why? Is it because the guy who overpowered them said if it's Jesus or if it's Paul, like that he acknowledges if it's that, then I don't, I'm, I'm out of here. I don't have any power over it, but yet to have the power to just whip these seven guys, right? It, it, you just go, why? 
for whatever reason, it's amplified the name of Jesus, and the story starts being told, and it's like one of those events in the community. It's like, did you hear about this? And that demon said, if it was Jesus, it was Paul. You know, for whatever reason, this just makes the, the gospel explode in at, at, from Ephesus in Ephesus and all around it. And here's what we read in Acts 19, 17 through 20, if you remember, it's what we just read a minute ago. It said, this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus. What is that? The seven sons of Sheba got the pants beat off of. Okay, and it says, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was being magnified. Okay, why was the name of the Lord being magnified? Not because of the healings or exorcisms or whatever. Because in that moment, it, it failed, right? But I think what was communicated is. There is real power, because these other guys, Paul is doing this, that there's real power in the name of Jesus. I think that's what's going out from this. Okay? Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced witchcraft, magic, brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone and counted up the price of them and, and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Like out of this scenario that we just talked about. I, and I think we see three things in here in these passages that were happening. At, you know, that that's the birth of the church of Ephesus. How would you like that to be? I mean, we had our... our We've had our stories and our things that have happened here, but we can't sit back and go, well, there was this big fight, and, you know, the guy's got the pants beat off of him, and then this church just exploded. Okay. Um, and, it, and it's just like, I, I think there are some things you look at they did at first as they started on top of the things Jesus was looking at in Revelation chapter 2. We talked about, I commend you for these things because they were things they were, they were doing back then. But he tells them to go back and do the things they did at first. Well, here's some things that you see. And, and, it, and it talks about how the name of Jesus was being magnified. That the name of the Lord was being magnified. Um, some versions say extolled, which is just to praise the name of Jesus. This is just to magnify the name of Jesus. To praise his name of passion. To just be kind of be captivated or consumed by, by Jesus. And we talked about that a little bit last week. And, and so it's not a thing of making this all just all churchy sounding or whatever. It, it's just a group of men and women who are just captivated by Jesus and who can't help to just want to tell his name to people who are excited about him, to praise his name, to rejoice in the goodness of Christ in their hearts. Like they're just like overwhelmed by his love so much that they're just compelled. That's what the Bible says that we should be compelled by his love to do good works and, and not because we have to or not because we're made to, but or you know, it's kinda like going to church. It's, do you say I have to go to church? Or do you say I get to go to church? It's that kind of language kind of thing that, that shows the heart kind of deal. Do I have to go to this baptism tonight? Do I have to go to the Lord's Supper tonight? Or is it, man, I just, I can't wait to be with the body of Christ and celebrate the fact that some, some young people have given their life to Christ and are now a part of the 
the family. Like, how could you not be excited about that? And what would trump that in your life? That's just me. We want to be a church that is captivated by Jesus. Jesus is front and center. Jesus is celebrated. Jesus is re rejoicing. That's the way I put it on Facebook tonight. Tonight we come to do baptism, not to celebrate those kids, but to celebrate Jesus and what he's doing in those kids. We're, we're celebrating Jesus tonight. We do the Lord's Supper to celebrate Jesus. I'm going to eat watermelon and candles to celebrate Jesus. Okay? I mean, that's just, that's just where my heart is. And, and it really is. I'm, I, you know why we, why would we do that? Let's just get down to it and be honest, okay? Because because you like watermelon and cantaloupe, yeah, I'm going to just do a whole lot, and I'm very good. Okay? So I can go home and do that. So we do that together. So we sit around and talk about the baptism, the Lord's stuff, the spiritual things, each other's lives. That's what's going on with you, that we, that we are the body of the Christ, the fellowship. We love God and we love each other. It's just, it's just watermelon and cantaloupe that facilitate loving each other. And what is this part of loving you? Okay? But don't bow out of that party. Okay? We want to be enthusiastic in our praise of Jesus Christ. Not just here when the music's going on. In here, yes, but especially out there. When we sit down and have lunch wherever we do that, you know, at the church today, we just want to be people who are enthusiastic about our salvation, about the goodness of God, and the fact that, <coughs> excuse me, that He pushes back the darkness with His amazing life that He's establishing His kingdom, He's building His church. We just want to celebrate that. We want to be. Jesus okay? Well, isn't that going to make you weird? Okay, I'll go here because I usually tell you what's weird you just see. Okay, it's not because you're Christian. You just take a Christian and you have to be weird. Okay? There's a weird that's just weird. Okay? And that's okay. You are who you are. Just don't be religious weird. You know what I'm saying? But being a Christian will make you somewhat weird in that you love Jesus. And other people just go, I don't get that kind of strange to me. Like, you do what? Like, you, you give your time to do what? You give money to do what? You, you, you do this? That's kind of strange to people who don't know Christ, right? It's, it's like, it's like I, there's, there's a guy I know that does, does hot air balloons, and he does, he goes, um, does some international stuff, and does, like, even when, uh, from Asian countries that, where Christianity is not welcome at all. And it's amazing to you that this one place, I was talking about this stuff over this morning, is um, there's this one place where this guy sets up this huge field and brings in balloons from all over the world, okay? And it's for the community and event, but he has one night and he's paying for it, and he just goes out, sits up a tent in the middle of the town, fills it full of food for him and his family, and they just go out and they have all the balloons come in and light it up at night these balloons and him and the family just go out there and look at them. They come in in the limo, they get this balloon, all filled with platter food, and then they have each balloon from all over the world has, is given a crew of, of servants to man their balloon, help them get it out of the truck or get it out of whatever, set it up, 
and all you do is go, if you're the owner of the balloon, you just go, and you have a pilot, and you just go, and the balloons are ready to go once you show up, and you do what you're supposed to do, and you quiet, or just keep it up on the ground, or keep it lit up, or whatever it is, and you go in and eat with the guy. The servants have to stay outside. They don't get to eat. You get to go in and eat with the family and do all this stuff. So this guy is like, at the end of it, there's like tatters of food left over. So of course, being a Christian, he's like, goes to the main guy that does all this and he's like, hey, can I take one of those great food out of my food? And the guy could not fathom why he didn't want to do that. And even the, he allowed him to do it because he was curious. He wanted to see what that was all about. So he takes a tray of food outside, and even the servants are like, why are you doing this? Like, we don't understand. Like, it didn't make sense to them, right? It, it, that's the good kind of weird I'm talking about. You see what I'm saying? That they're looking at him going, dude, you're strange. I like it. They're strange. Right? That, that's that good kind of weird, okay? It, it, it's a, it's a little overboard passion about Jesus. Just always looking for opportunities wherever you're at. Not just being a good church person on Sundays in the small group, but during the week you're always looking around going, how can I help somebody take that? Who can I invite to church? Who can I invite to small group? How can I help this person? How can I move them towards God? How can I serve somebody? How can I minister to somebody? God taught me by your Holy Spirit just to send me some direction. Be like you because I love you, and these people need you. They would love you too, and I'm just, just help me to show you that. Okay, so that's that part. And when you love Jesus that much, and that's what he's talking about, get back to commitment heart stuff. So he's like, when you get back to that first love, because when you first came to salvation, that's what you were like, and you can like tell everybody, right? And what happened to that? Well, you just afraid to even miss him. Second thing you, you can see in here is it talks about them disclosing and confessing their practices. You guys get so excited about that, right? This is everybody's favorite part. This is probably the most difficult part about even doing this as a pastor and trying to get a body of believers and something. Hopefully, you'll actually have discussions about, not be afraid to have discussions about in a small group this week. There's many also those who believe that coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices, and many of those who practice magic brought their books together and began burning them inside of everyone. And let's make that clear. The church at Ephesus was reaching out to the, to the law, the messy, just far from God people who, who are in just messy. It was people not like them who you're rubbing elbows with that is like, okay, this is not, like, easy. It's not comfortable, right? And we have all been there. I want you to get in your mind through all of this as we talk about this, that it's, it's not those people, because it, 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 it was once us, and still is us. We still have our stuff. We're just being moved by the power of the Holy Spirit, by Jesus, to do better, repent, and turn from those things, Right? Go all the way back to the hypocrite deal I was talking about a few weeks ago. But, but it was messy ministry for Ephesus. Could you imagine being in that city and the gospel hitting and then all this mix of people, right? From Paul to, to all the way out to the person who's coming, being brought in from the community who, who just 
was involved in this, this kind of stuff. I mean, you have these men and women who are being saved out of witchcraft, right? They were being saved out of temple prostitution. There were men and women who had been visiting temple prostitutes. That's how they worshiped. Okay? I mean, there, there was a roughness about Ephesus. And all of a sudden, those very people who are practicing this magic are bringing their spell books and burning them. Not because they were told they had to. Right? It, was, it wasn't a... We don't read that Paul declared a book burning that night and they brought them off, right? I mean, they're... they're it's crazy. Now, in the future, what we see is they don't tolerate evil. When we got into Revelation, I said we talked about them not tolerating evil and they have good doctrine. But it doesn't say in Revelation 2 at that point that they're disclosing and, and confessing practices as a part of their life, as part of what they're doing in the church. Okay? Now, maybe it is, but there's nothing in the text. And I think it was, that was something <coughs> that we need to, to look at, keep a hold of, that he wanted them to keep a hold of. And we just need to be aware and accept ourselves. We've talked about this a lot in the church. That ministry is message. And doing this is message. Okay? It's not always easy. Okay? We always have those around us. I hope we do as a church. And we have people around us that make us uncomfortable to a degree. Right? We love people. But, like, we're just so different because of where we're at. Passionate about Jesus, not passionate about Jesus. Can't expect a non-Christian to act like a Christian. That's one of the downfalls of the church. We try to impose our beliefs on other people by by hacking moral law on the people who don't even acknowledge the God of that moral law, right? We have to be careful of that. We need to, there's a message I usually do every year that talks about making a crazy friend, okay? I mean, in America these days, a Democrat can even be a friend of a Republican, it seems like, without getting into arguments and hating each other. And it's the most stupid thing on the planet. It creates these political races that create divisions in churches. It drives me insane. Because we need to, as Christians, be focused on Jesus more than political affiliation. And we're so passionate about getting our political message out there. Since when have you been passionate about getting the message of Jesus out there? And going, you know what, if my political deal offends somebody and makes people from moving towards Christ and me having a conversation with them about Christ, I just keep myself to myself. And I vote how I vote and I do my thing. Do we get active and vote and and do things to help move laws a certain way? Absolutely. Okay? But my mindset is set towards the gospel not towards a prospering nature. That makes sense. Okay? Just make a crazy friend, have a Mackey party, have all your rowdy friends over. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. For the sake of the gospel. That we look around sometimes in our life and we go, Jesus, I love you, and there's these people in my small group, and we'll walk along their life together. But there's also these people over here that I spend time with, that I work with, that are my friends, that are my family. Man, they're just totally not like me. They're just totally not 
on board with the things that I believe in, that I do, that I praise in. You know what, we're friends. You know, people who are who are not Christians that are friends of mine, you hear me say this all the time. I look at people and I just say, hey, if you're living that lifestyle, if, you're, if you've got that addiction issue, if you've got that going on in your life, whatever the lifestyle issue is, the only reason you and I won't be friends is because you won't be friends with me. Not because I won't be friends with you. You may push me out, but I'm not going to push you out. I'll hang out with you anytime. And we can even talk about the things you disagree about, not to love you and be your friend. If you want to get mad at me and walk away, that's, that's your choice. But it's not going to be because I don't love you and be Right? I mean, I'll just throw this in here too. Yeah. Hopefully, we're going to be in trouble. But I was at a meeting with a group of church leaders talking about an upcoming community event. Okay? And we're talking about counselors and stuff and about issues of counseling people. And the comment was made, well, you know, the issues with teenagers today and, and people that we might be counseling with at this thing. And, and so that, you know, it might be that, you know, we've had people start expressing gender issues and homosexuality issues and those kind of things. And not everybody's really well equipped in our churches to deal with those kind of issues, right? And so this guy, this other pastor that's sitting there, looks at the group and says, well, and this is not a toot my horn kind of thing, but it's, it's just to say that the mindset in church sometimes is off and, and we need to love people regardless of where they're at. This pastor says, well, if you guys come across somebody like that, just send them tomorrow. And it, and it just, it was because of the reputation of our church. Because we, because people know we love people. People in the community know, you want a wheelchair ramp built? Call, go talk to that church. You, you want, you want somebody minister to? There's a lady who runs a local housing kind of deal that sends people to our church, even if she goes to another church. Because she knows those people that live in that kind of housing will feel more comfortable here. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's that's what we're supposed to be, right? And we can't ever lose that. And it doesn't mean we're just cordial and nice and say hello to people that we think are over here, right? But that we embrace them, love them, befriend them, and start to walk with them. Not There's examples I could go through in our church in here that's going on right now that's like, man, that's what I'm talking about. We can't lose that. Right? It's not just, and we need to put food to people who need food. But it's, hey, we need to have people in our lives who are in that situation that we're being friends with. Not just giving them something and walking away. Right? That's the kind of church we need to be. It's a reputation I'm okay with. Addiction issues, financial mishandling issues, anger issues, been convicted issues, on artist lying issues, porn issues. I have that confession from guys often. It's probably not enough, but it's probably a bigger issue than what we talked about this place and confess and work on. But I have to, that's, that's a constant one throughout the 15, 16 years I've been at the church. It's one that just brought me Okay? And I'm glad that, that guys will do that. Okay? Your female, please go to my wife or somebody else, uh, Rita or somebody like that. 
another female, but I had guys come to me and say, hey, this is my answer. Well, let's talk about this. But, you know, where you at? My painting stage? Are you, what, how does that fit with you? Is it just because you got caught? Is it what's going on with you? Do you, you get to that repentance stage? Okay, what about accountability? How do we set up some accountability for you? Can I want to help you out of that. I love you. Thanks for coming to me, man. Pray about it. And just work together. Right? Not, well, you need to quit that, and I'll pray for you, and then you need to resign from everything you're doing in the church, and you just sit down and don't do anything for a while, and you know, we'll just kind of push you out. Okay? Are there some things sometimes you need to step down from because of sinners in your life? Sure. But it's a restoration deal that one time one day you can get back in. Right? Because of the thing getting you out of that, that's where God wants to be. So we need to remind ourselves and not get burned out on messy ministry. That shouldn't be the reason we you know, hear about pastors and people in ministry and I just need a break from. It shouldn't be because of messy ministry. When we get tired of dealing with people, we've lost our first love. That's what I think. I think that's the issue, not the entire deal of people. We've lost our fuel. I'm glad Jesus is rubbed his okay with rubbing elbows with those cars and God and doesn't get tired of dealing with people. If Jesus would have got tired of dealing with people, man, I'd have been in trouble. We would probably be in trouble. We probably be here. We need to be happy. That anyone far from God to be here. When they walk in the room, they get to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ proclaimed. Then if you're a mature believer, you just celebrate the that those people are with you. And it's wonderful, right? And there should always be this constant flow of that happening. People coming to Christ, maturing in Christ, reaching back out. These people who are far from God, and it's just happening over and over. And yes, I get emails from, 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 from people coming up to me who are like, Marty, you know. We really need to do something, you know, they usually word it, we really need to do something, but what they mean by coming to me is you really need to do something. About how these females are dressed around here, right? I've had that one before. We need to talk about modesty, okay? Yes, it happened. I, I love how one pastor responded. This Matt Cannon was so good. He actually had... And he had some ladies come to his church, come to his and they were into a crazy lifestyle. But he said this, because he had those complaints given to him about how he dressed. And then they started bringing more people, and he just snapped in and said, I'm just like, because this is kind of conversation he was talking about, just being brought to him, and then saying, you know, deal with this, and how it's going on. He said, or, what he says back to me, you could deal with the lust of your heart and your own sin and see women as sisters instead of something to be consumed. We should just rejoice that the grimy are among us. could take that break, right? He said, I am unable to pastor a super clean, smiley, perfect church. I can't do it. God has not wired me like that. And I say, I'm going to say, the more it looks like that, the more I feel like we're failing in all I just can't. I mean, I can't do it. Now remember what he said 
what we say because I'm not, he said, I'm not going to just give yourself over to crying because I don't believe that either. Here's what we've said for 15 years. You heard me say this a couple weeks ago. He says, it's okay to not be okay, but what? It's not okay to say that. Right? God is going to move. God's going to say if God is going to work in so lastly, what you see happening in, in Ephesus early on that we, that we should be aware of is forgiveness of sin and death. So, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. The men and women of Ephesus were experiencing forgiveness of their sins and seeing victory over Satan. People practicing witchcraft and worshiping idols and were denouncing their practice, burning their spell books. I know this is going to freak some of you out, but they. If you have witchcraft books at your house, okay, and you're casting spells, okay, I know that sounds funny on the front end, but this happened. I remember dealing with teenagers as a youth pastor who were getting together in barns doing this kind of stuff, playing with this kind of stuff. They thought it was cool, right? you're doing that, you have given permission to a very real Satan and demonic reality to have claim on your heart and suppression of God. Okay? That, and that one may be obvious and over the top of people in the Bible Belt. They're like, well, obviously it's doing that, right? But how far do you break this down that you're letting satanic, demonic things influence you and be a part of your life? How far does that trickle into the things that we do? Right? If you're allowing to sin, if you're sidetracked by what the world offers, if you're more focused on idols and Jesus, and we all have these kind of idols that creep into our lives, right? You're letting evil spirits subdue. Now, I don't, I don't personally believe a believer who has the Holy Spirit in them can be possessed. Do not believe that. Okay? But can you be suppressed, as one guy would put it, like a kick on a dog draining the strength out of, out of your feeling life? I think so. But when we see the, the gospel in her, we're, you actually even, this victory that they were seeing, they were seeing these, these bonds of Satan broken over people, men and women beginning to grow in holiness and transformed by the gospel. Remember that the evidence of salvation is, is, is being transformed out of those places. And so as a church, we need to be okay and even celebrate together when people 
when that gets broken out of their lives, when there's victory over that by the power of Jesus, we need to be happy that there's people around us who aren't like us, and then be excited to see, like we should be like anticipating and, and just like excited that people are around us that are in those situations because we, knowing one day there's going to be forgiveness and victory over that sin. And I want to be there and be a part of seeing that happen, right? Loving and reaching people that aren't like us. Ephesus had grown a bit cold and had lost their love for Jesus and probably for the community. Right? And you can see them holding the doctrine and enduring or doing these good works. It doesn't talk anything in Revelation about chapter 2 about them doing this. Didn't want to deal with those people anymore and they forgot they once were those people themselves. Like we need to remember still have our issues. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. What's lost is our relationship with him. But he loves people, and we love him, we love what he loves, and we obey his commands. So I want it to be a church that one magnifies the name of Jesus. Okay? Why do we even say just the religious thing we do? I hope not. What I'm wanting to, what I'm here for, and what I want to do is, is praise the name of Jesus. Just be thankful for what He has done for us, for us not to forget. We sing these things over and over and over. Why are the things repeated? Why do we go back to the same gospel message all the time? Why is that so foundational? Because we all need it. Because it's something we so easily forget. Because we leave our first love and we have no more passion anymore. So we don't just constantly push ourselves up. We've got to remember, just like the same with good messages, all about all about people. I hope we're a church that continues to just disclose and confess sin to one another. I, 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 this is weird. Okay, you got to understand how, how I'm saying this, okay? I was about to say, I love it when people come to me and disclose and confess their sin. Okay? I don't love it that they're in their sin, but I love it because the Scripture says there's power in breaking sin when we confess that to them. When you find somebody, when you, when you go to somebody and say, hey, can you help me with this? They don't blow you up. They don't. They don't go and say, "Hey, we just want to announce to the church, and we need to take this person down totally and just ruin their life." We, no, it's a how do we help you out of the sin, right? So there may be some, some, just, some things that happen around that person's life, and there's, but there's an accountability that's professional sin. There's, there's people that, that know that help you stay out of that. We're a church that receives people that, that we receive and give forgiveness. And we see people walk in victory. So this evening is part of that victory celebration, right? We will celebrate victory tonight. Two young people being baptized. 
Living their lives with Jesus and repentance of their sin and walking in the newness of life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll remember. It's what Jesus told the church at Ephesus to do. Don't forget your passion and love for Jesus. Don't forget how much He loves you. So we do, don't we? So we do the Lord's Supper to remind us of that. And with Jesus, knowing how we are, that we forget that kind of gave us. Gave us those two things. Baptism and Lord's Supper. Really so that we can, we can see baptism represents us embodies a lot of that. The, the, the old life gone, the new life has come. And how we're buried with Christ in His death and burial. How we're raised the newness of life through His resurrection. It, just, it represents this whole I was once in sin, and now I have confessed that I'm a sinner, and now I'm walking in this victory. It's seeing uh, people far from God come close to God. And so tonight is an embodiment of all that. And I'm, I'm excited about it. I hope you are. I hope you are. And I hope to see you here tonight.